Welcome to Four Quarter Lives and to exploring the profound impact of longer, healthier, and more engaged lives for ourselves, our couples, companies, and countries. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox. Have you ever wondered where you should live next? Inspired by my guest, Ryan Frederick's book, Right Place, Right Time, I spent quite a long time flirting with the idea of moving to Portugal, much to my family's dismay. I know a lot of people moving there at this age and stage. Have you thought about place as a central pillar of successful third quarter? Ryan's been interested in where and how people age since his MBA at Stanford many years ago. Now CEO of Smart Living 360, he helps people think about housing and real estate, but more generally about the question of place in longer lives. We'll look at some of why you might want to integrate this dimension into your longevity thinking. So today I'm delighted to welcome Ryan Frederick to Four Quarter Lives. Ryan, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Aviva. Now, this is a conversation near and dear to my heart, personally and professionally, is where do we live, not just in the second half of life, but the first half of life. I've been a roving ball of weeds, do we call them, for pretty well my entire existence. And I know that more and more people are moving around at all ages and stages but you first came at this topic, I think, when you were thinking about where should people live in the second half of life. Give me, give me a bit of background. How did you get interested in this? What got you into the right place, right time mindset and message? Yeah, for sure. You know, for me, and we were talking about this moments before we started the podcast, life is an evolution. And through curiosity, you know, you learn more and you realize what you didn't understand necessarily previously. And you're able to tie the, connect the dots that weren't necessarily easier to connect prior in life. (laughs) One of the great benefits of aging, right? (laughs) One of the great benefits. Yes. So for me, I would say this journey started about 20 years ago. I was in technology in Silicon Valley, went to business school at Stanford, and the plan was to pivot. Want to pivot. I was really interested in innovation, but not necessarily exclusively technology. And so I started to be really curious about longer lives and aging. My classmates didn't know what I was talking about. None of those companies recruit on campus, but I was pretty convicted and I wanted Where, to Where'd see, you get the aging bug? Where did it come in from? As I look back on, I had a really influential a sixth grade teacher that got us connected to a retirement community where we had buddies at a local community. And I happened to be partnered with a woman named Melba Rollins and she didn't have family in the area and she was she was blind, but otherwise healthy. And so the program was supposed to last just through sixth grade, but we just kept meeting because my grandparents were on the East Coast. It's where my parents are from, but we were living on the West Coast. And so, yeah, that was like, I think more influential than I realized at the time. Marge Zellner was my teacher's name. And then uh, close to both my grandparents, although we didn't live close and just really curious about, I think that people at the time underthought the opportunities of living longer. It was as well noted in the circles that we travel in this idea of retire by definitions to withdraw, almost to disappear, which is orthogonal with what the research is around, you know, healthy longevity and aging. So I kind of observe, like, I think this is going to be different. And then when I was looking at it more seriously, I could understand or they have some appreciation for the fact that 
the near doubling of life expectancy in the 20th century is, I think, one of our crowning achievements as a society and expecting further advances to happen. And that's great, but how do we make the most of that? So I started off actually having no passion about housing or place. I didn't care about it, but I did know that I wanted to see where people lived who were older and to appreciate what influence that had. It was really a slice of design thinking before design thinking was yep. a word, yep. uh, or at least a common term. And so in the summer of 2004, I uh, worked as a summer intern for for a company here in the U.S. called Sunrise Senior Living. And I sat down, I wrote a bunch of letters to people. They didn't know who I was. Only one person responded, and that was the CEO of Sunrise. And I flew out there and I said, listen, I would love to help out. I know you don't really have MBA interns, but part of it is I want to I want to live in a community. And so I, he was accommodating to make the math work. My wife and I lived in the guest house of their, <laughs> their house, which was Sunrise was one of the earlier creators of assisted living. So they were so into it that he and his wife, they had decorated their guest house as if it was an assisted living community, which was entertaining. <laughs> and then, but I then moved and lived in the community in Atlanta and had been a living community for a month. My wife decided to exit right for that particular month. So I was left unsupervised. The only person under 75 and only male on my wing. So I got <laughs> a lot of attention, but I got to see how environment shape us, particularly later in life. I saw a lot of positives, a lot of ways it could be better as well. And so we fast forward to today, my aperture, my view is much wider now. And what I've observed is as we look at the research around healthy longevity, and, and I've had different stops on the investor side, on the operating and development side, my firm here, part of it is focused on strategy consulting and part of it now is focused on consumer content. But I've had the privilege of working with groups, investors, real estate developers, operators globally at this point around how can we create better places for people to thrive? Really, I would say across the age continuum, certainly part of it second half of life, but the view is, is, is wider now. And I, I think that's because when we look at the research around healthy longevity, you know, much of it is encouraging in the sense that we have have agency. The things that we decide to do, our lifestyle and environmental choices, you know, have 80% or north, it seems, based on our research, impact on our longevity. And not just our longevity, but our impact with our health and also our financial wealth as well. So you're the perfect person after these 20 years of aperture expansion to ask, so now how would you define right place? Or as I understand you now think of it, right places. Is it, it's not just about where, what is it about? Yes, yes. Big when I question, wrote, but it's a question. It's, it's a great question. <laughs> I would say an age agnostic question. When I wrote the book, Right Place, Right Time, it's been awesome to hear the stories of people who have read it and had an impact, not just in the US, but really across the world. The different had a big impact awesome. on me. My God, that's why it's I was lobbying awesome. to move to Portugal for my poor husband for the last yes. few years. <laughs> we'll yes, talk about yes. that. You're not the only one. We'll get there. But um, I learned more, I think, than anyone who read the book. Because this first time I've read a book, I wrote a book. I was an engineer by training to avoid reading and writing. So this is dripping in irony. But as I went through, it's like, oh my gosh, this place thing is just much bigger than I realized. And it has very meaningful physical elements, which we'll get into, but it's much broader than that. And so the way that I think about it right now 
is I think the opportunity ahead of us is how can we find the right place or to your point, the right place as for these different chapters in life. And there's, I really love your framework of breaking the hundred year life into quarters. It's because they have distinct opportunities, challenges for each of those quarters. Though in reality, life is not as black and white. We have all sorts of different transitions for a variety of different reasons. And so I think this opportunity in, in front of us, there's enormous upside and downside related to choosing wisely the places. And what I mean by place, I mean this idea, are we, do we have purpose that's greater than ourselves? Are we with the people that we want to be with? Are we as active physically in the ways that we wish? Are we financially prepared in that stage for where we are? And then of course, physically, are we in an environment that meets our physical needs as well as I would say our emotional and psychological needs. I recently uh, changed the brand of my company to here, H-E-R-E. The website is H is here.life. And part of the reason why is I thought more and more that we go through different chapters and we're not always going to be in the right place. And that's okay. That's okay. That's part of life. But to the extent that we can nudge ourselves to being in better places and not just the place, but are we orienting ourselves? Are we really leaning into the opportunities of where we live? And so I felt more and more that this is a search. It's not a one-time search, but when we find where we are, it's here. This is it. This is me. And your answer for the right place may be different than my answer for the right place. Your answer for the right place may look different in your life stage now than it may in 10 to 15 years from now. And that's okay. That's part of life. And and because when we're in that harmony with place, when we get that sense of home, true home for where we are, in a sense, we get the wind at our back. Everything happens just a little bit easier. And when we're misaligned, we get the headwind. And it's harder for a reason. I've seen this in my life. I suspect you've probably seen this in your life in different chapters. And it's hard, but it matters. This is one of these decisions that matters. What what really struck me when I first read your book, which was when my mom was still alive, who died last year at 97, her attachment to home was something you described in the book as aging in place, which she was extremely attached to and lived in the home where she did end up dying at 97 for some 60 odd years, in part as a reaction to a very mobile childhood that she probably suffered from. I loved your whole invitation to rethink that notion of age from aging in place to what I remember as living in community. So can you give us a guide? What should people think about if they're in Q2 or in Q3? What would be the difference between here thinking in those two segments? I think and are Q- we all watching our parents do this as they are without having had a lot of your wisdom to prepare yes, for the ride? I, I would say we have opportunities to learn in our own journey, as we've mentioned, but we we have opportunities to vicariously learn from others' journeys too. And I, I am seeing, I'm hearing of stories where they see what their parents have done, albeit not necessarily living in the same age of longevity that we are living or we'd be living into, but saying, you know, I don't think I want to do it that way. 
for a variety of reasons. And part of that is, absolutely, as you, is, is the, I look at my grandparents, how I mentioned my initial interest. I think in some cases, this longer life just kind of happened. Yeah. And there wasn't a plan. There wasn't a vision. Well, they were so surprised by how long they lived. They were they surprised. They were completely unprepared and kept saying, completely yeah. unpre- absolutely. my mother never wanted to repaint the house because she was going to be dead next year. And That's then she never right. was. And before I get to your question, this element of surprise, well, led to some disappointments or sub-optimization, like it probably yep. would have been good to paint her house or, yep. yeah, or to invest. They also had the benefits of pensions. And, you know, as we've seen in France most recently, but really across the world, our society needs to reframe just some of the financial obligations of living longer. So put that aside, but that's important. There are good surprises and bad surprises related to a longer life. But to to your point around aging in place and the alternatives, I think that my argument is that where you live, just pushing aside for a moment, the psychological and emotional elements, just even the physical piece, where you decide to live, where you put roots in has such a meaningful influence in ter- indirect influence around purpose, around your social network, around how physically active you are, your financial position, that this particular decision has outsized impact on your health and well-being, and it deserves attention. Across whether it's Q2, Q3, Q1, Q4, we got some kids here, we got some teenagers in Q1 making decisions about university that has place based impact. That'll have a real impact in terms of their social circles and so on. But as we look at Q2 and Q3, what I find is that, particularly in that Q3 piece, we'll come back to Q2 in a moment, is that there's this sense of, well, I'm just going to age where I am, age in place. And when you look at the research, I know ARP has done here in the States. It onwards of 90% of people say, I want to age in place. Now, I see that largely as an exercise in not doing the work to understand truly what the pros and cons are. Because I believe that in most cases, actually nearly every case, this idea of aging in the place, if that means in the same single family home in the suburbs, that was never designed for people to live a longer life is certainly an option, but I believe that it's often a very suboptimal option. And one of the reasons for that, and I do what, suggest- What is, I mean, describe it a bit. What's the typical thing that you get left alone, you can't drive, or you have to drive everywhere? Yeah. There's a friend of mine here in the States, Dr. Bill Thomas, oh, yeah. who has been uh, really remarkable in his different ideas and pushing- individuals, but I think also some of our institutions that think differently. And he describes it as there's a time when you love your house, but your house doesn't love you back. (laughs) We live in Austin, Texas. Austin is perhaps no city in the U.S. has probably changed more over the last 20 years in Austin. I keep reading about it. Yep. We're relatively new. We've been here about four years. But one of the examples of this is that your address may not change, but your community can change dramatically. So you may have once known your neighbors well, now you don't know them. You may have been embedded in different community activities. You may not necessarily be weaved in the way you used to. Your house may fall apart over time. It may have home maintenance obligations that are not the best use of your time and energy. You may look at it and recognize that just the ongoing cost 
of your house is more than you're comfortable or wise to have. There may be design elements, you know, as simple as stairs that at one point weren't necessarily an issue, but now I'm not so sure I want to have to deal with that all the time. Or, or just the idea that things happen from time to time. You have a surgery or something happens just intermittent. In the U.S., less than 3% of the housing stock has been designed with uh, that can support someone with just some limited mobility issues. So this is, and it's not just a U.S. thing. This is really a global phenomenon. And so, so you start to say, even if you have this emotional connection to home, just to house, just like you mentioned with your mom, you begin to start to say, well, wait a second, is this place, this area that I am rooted to, am I really living my best life for this chapter? And that's where I think this broader, this whole more holistic view that looks at these different key elements of well-being and recognize that, well, for example, I'll, I'll lean in on the social connection piece. It has been well chronicled in a lot of circles that people that are chronically lonely, it has the health equivalent of having by 15 cigarettes a day. You know, mega, mega, uh, meta study pointed to that. I believe that we are in a society right now that's making it harder to connect with people. We got this headwind around social connection. And we can connect online, but it's hard to connect in place, right? In place. And especially as we get older, too, it's harder for people to devote the time to to really become more than from an acquaintance to a friend to a good friend to close up. That's just that's difficult. And so where we live, where we choose can have an influence over those people, those social networks that we can be part of. So I believe that this idea that 90% of people say they want to be in place is largely a consequence of people not thinking through what the true ramifications are. I suggest, so I have it, I hate the term, aging feels like it's something passively happening to you. In place, it's like you're a statue, which is against all of what's described around healthy aging because so so much of it's being proactive and leaning in and taking that next challenge and being active. I suggest an alternative term around living in community, which is you're more in the driver's seat. Like in what way are you living the best for this chapter and in community? Because this is not best in exercise alone. And what does that mean in terms of the people that you do it with and how place can be part of that? An alternative definition, which may be easier for people to digest is really aging in the right place or in the right places. And once you start to think about, oh my gosh, there are opportunities beyond my single family house dwelling as an example, and I can start to imagine other possibilities, then you start to see, well, maybe this idea of just the default choice, maybe that's not the best and only choice over time. Now, in many cases, it may mean that you just you reorient yourself to your current place. Maybe there's opportunities to remodel your house. Maybe there's opportunities to be more proactive about bringing people in and be more engaged in the community, finding ways for purpose that's greater than yourself. But I think you start with, I would say, giving light to the flaws in this aging in place as a term and as a strategy. Oh, I think you may be muted. Yeah. Sorry, what's the shift and are people shifting now? When you work with people, do they then, a majority of them say, yes, absolutely, this is right. It's time to move on. And what's the click? What is it that they need to see, hear, experience 
to get the, I don't know, the openness or the courage to age out of place. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I would say a few things. When I wrote the book, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't. And I was writing it during the pandemic. Nobody was moving then. Nobody was moving. And I didn't know. I, you know, I didn't know if there was new stuff in this book or not, or these ideas. And I've been grateful to learn that there've been some real ripples from the book and set of ideas. And and I think that there's a few things related to this. I have, I've gotten emails from people where they've read the book and where it's had a media impact. And this one story is particularly interesting. This is a, a couple that had moved from the West Coast to the Midwest, Ann Arbor, Michigan, to be closer to family. They had a bid on a suburban house. They somehow picked up my book this one afternoon where they just put a bid in. They read it that night. The next morning, they pulled the offer and they instead ultimately bought a house in an intergenerational mixed-use area of Ann Arbor townhomes. I would say the light bulb tends to happen when people realize that two things. One, they're going to be living longer than they perhaps have thought they were expected. And then what's also impacted them is that when they understand that place is more than something physical, it's more than a financial asset. It's like, oh my gosh, so much of my life is impacted by this decision. So when you get those two things like, oh my gosh, this decision matters and this has multifaceted, when that happens over a longer life, then you see this light bulb going, I've done some experiments uh, this year, Aviva, I've done, I've now taken the book and turned it into a workshop. And I've done several in person here in Austin, Texas. I've done, I've now done one virtual one here in the US. We're doing another one starting later this month where it's going to be four sessions where it's an extended version. So people really get a chance to dig deep, but also do it in community. And so I'm finding these light bulbs are going off like, oh my gosh, this is like way bigger than I realized. I've been also educating some realtors here in the US so that they're understanding, oh wow, there's a conversation to be had. We're of greater value if we can help people understand, they can turn into life really coaches. Fu- life yeah. coaches, not just realtors. Absolutely. That's right. Even even I'm finding wealth advisors yeah. here in the states. Actually, some conversations with some folks in the UK as well, where they're recognizing that we can provide more value to our clients if we're not just focused on the financial piece, but we think about being kind of providing some elements of longevity advice and and places kind of right in the center of all this. So I think as more and more people say, oh my gosh, I might live to a hundred, you know, the four quarter life you're describing, I'm really a pioneer. I don't want to do this the way my parents did. And so I need to sort out what does that vision look like? And this is exciting. It's good. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the most popular blogs I have on the here.life website, I wrote several years ago, and it was on the U-shaped happiness curve. Yep. We tend to not realize it's a bit of the ageism in our society that actually we get happier. Self-reported well-being, our happiness gets better over time. It has this, we're a certain level in our 20s and then kind of precipitously goes down in our 30s and 40s and hits a nadir, at least in the US. I think it's similar in the UK, but though it varies by country, around 50. And then it picks up. And so in your 70s and 80s, on average, people are, are happier than they were previously. And so I think it speaks to the fact that this- They paid off their wear. 
Yeah, for planners, you know, if you get a plan and a vision, there's some really good things that come with longer life. So both of us are pointing, I always ask people, would they like to know the date of their death? And the vast majority say no, although I think it would help this kind of conversation if you had a vague idea of how long you were going to live, because then it does help you kind of pace. But you help with an assessment that's now available on your website. And I encourage people to go to here.life to take a look at it. So can you help walk us through what are the five dimensions you explore there? And yeah. How is yeah, that impacting sure. people's choices? Well, I found when I wrote the book, I got a lot of positive feedback in particular about this assessment in one of the earlier chapters. And I realized, well, the assessment can be taken irrespective of whether you've read the book. And so I thought it's a good place to start. Like, am I even in the right place? And if if not, what are the gaps? Am I even thinking about place as a thing? Am I even... Am I even thinking about place in the broader way that I could and should? So I did, I said, well, okay, let's put that on the website. And so that's what we've done. It's here.life slash assessment, but you can find it on the homepage. And what I've done is I've taken the lead from Gallup Healthways Wellbeing Index, where they've broken well-being into five categories. It's it's purpose social connection, physical well-being, financial well-being, and then really community slash place. And so I ask, it takes just a couple minutes. I ask, I think, five questions in each of those dimensions. It gives you a flavor for where might you be at this chapter in life. And so it probes a bit on on purpose, recognizing that being able to identify a purpose that's bigger than yourself it's one of the best correlators to happiness. And so have a series of questions there. And then on the social connection side, really getting a sense, do you, how connected are you to people? You know, do you have a feeling of loneliness? What's your team that's supporting you? What does that look like? And and then on the physical well-being side, being active, but also your sleep and nutrition kind of roll together. And then the financially, it's, you know, it's not just how much income you have. In fact, it's this idea of feeling financially at peace that you're you have you're well prepared financially Secure, some degree of security, security. that's what i'm looking worry. for you don't have yeah, to worry that's, about the roof over your head is that that's that? right financial security is yeah. is three times more valuable than just income in terms yeah. of your well-being. So, and then place, does it meet your physical needs like we've talked a bit about but also your emotional and psychological I run into people where they're like, yeah, on paper, this should be right, but it's not. This isn't me. I want to find the place that's right for me. So those are the five dimensions and people that fill it out, you'll get uh, some results that put in a graphical form where you might sit and then some suggestions if there's any areas where you may be deficient. And more recently, I've added a zip code feel to it. So you just get a sense of where people are here. And and ultimately, I think this is the beginnings of finding other ways to just help people along this important journey. But it's a good place to start. You know, and it's, it's age agnostic. Could could work well for someone in their 20s as much Absolutely. as someone they in their... They have to make as much place decisions as they possible. do. I think it's almost the same in your 20s as it ends up being in your 60s. You relive the same questions with slightly different criteria. I'm sure you found that as well. Yes, yes. So my, my question, I'm, as you know, quite also interested in gender differences at these different ages and stages and how couples evolve 
And there can be no bigger debate than where are we going to live the next chapter? Do couples often align, misalign? Are there, because I can understand that there's so many differing goals at these different phases. I see a lot of women kind of taking off career-wise in Q3. A lot of mayor partners might want to slow down, retire, go to the sun, finally get that golf side game. Are you hearing about this? What do you do when two people in a same couple don't have the same place goals? Yeah, it happens from time to time. <laughs> it's only time to time that we're doing okay. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I would say that a couple of things. One, you have a growing number of people that a friend of mine, Sarah Geber, describes as solo agers, where typically you know, don't have family or are single as they age. And I would say that there's a set of considerations for solo agers, particularly those who are single about how do they think about place and thriving and recognizing that there's like probably less of a a safety net. And so the importance of planning, I would say, is greater. In the context of couples, I I think it's it's very important. And I'll I'll start with a story about my wife and I. We we were living, our families are from the West Coast. We were born, both of us, more or less grew up in Northern Southern California, respectively. We... We're in the San Francisco Bay Area for about a dozen years. We then, for job opportunities, moved to the mid-Atlantic of the East Coast and lived in, I'll call it the greater D.C. area for about a decade. But for my wife in particular, it was not the right place for her. She had a small business that had gone done well and then then struggled and, and family was out on, on the West Coast. And she was desiring a change in particular. And I could see some of the same elements in my life, but not necessarily to the same degree. But we talked a lot about it. We, at the time, had kids. Our kids were about to go into high school and then in middle school. And we went through a process. I I mean, I, I guess I eat my own dog food because we went through a pretty thoughtful process that led to our move from the mid-Atlantic here to Austin, Texas. And were we on the same page about everything? No, we weren't. My wife, love her to death. She has strong opinions, you know, so we had to work through some of that. But in the end, we were in part felt kind of pushed out as much as we were pulled in to Austin. But it's been a very positive change for us. And I would say a part of it was the process we went through. Yeah. It was very like collaborative and transparent. And I'm not saying, you know, there's all sorts of things. We're a work in progress for you sure. You might have but, to write a book about that one. The collaborative yeah. <laughs> process for couples yes. to negotiate the way. Yeah. And that I would be useful. I mentioned a little bit in the book, but you're right. There's There's more to be discussed there. So I think that... First of all, it is, I would start with the reality, which I've seen a number of couples take this assessment tool separately. That's what they should do. Individuals should take it separately. And then it creates an opportunity for a conversation, you know, in this. I would say even selfishly, if your partner is struggling, like you're going to struggle. And it's part of just how friendships and relationships work. You know, I know there's the adage here, you know, happy wife, happy life from the husband's perspective, but I, th- I think it can be reversed as well. And and so I think that there's an element of just, first of all, just where are we? Which again, I think that assessment is helpful. Just where are we on this journey? And 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 to the extent that there's some some gaps, 
you know, having an opportunity to talk about it. But part of what I think is important too, and, and, and this, this is my intent on the website as well as the book, is these are like good things. These are opportunities living longer. Grab a glass of wine, go on a hike, like talk about dream about some of these. What do we want it to look like? There are life coaches out there and, you know, and I'm sure you advise people as well. And, and so there are resources we can turn to, but getting the facts out, I think is a good place to start. And then one of the things I talk about in the book and have some blogs about been doing these, these workshops I mentioned is this idea of design thinking. I mentioned it earlier when I was living in the, the retirement community, but experiment, have a hypothesis. So experiment. This is my next question, right? Yes. You, you yes. were talking about dreams. So what about the big dreams where people are, I know everybody is moving to Portugal or Costa Rica or all these sunny foreign countries is that a massive move? Is that a small percentage? Is it financial choice to live, you know, to get, earn money in rich countries and then live out a retirement in lower and middle income countries? Is that a good idea? What's your thinking on this? So the somewhat not helpful answer is it depends. <laughs> and I think what I'm finding is that a couple things, because yeah, Portugal in particular is coming up a lot here in the States as well. And, and I think what happens when you move from the third stages of life to the four quarters life, or however you look at it, three quarters, you know, to this hundred year life, you understandably, particularly in an environment where if you're in a country where pensions are less common and here in the U.S., you know, social security is, is not as generous as some might hope for longer life you start to ask yourself, well, what quality of life do I want over this longer life? How can I extend my wealth span? Going back to this idea, it's not just lifespan because living long on itself may not necessarily be a positive, but how can it have a, at least a correspondingly long health span, quality of life coupled with wealth span where you have resources for your desired quality of life? So lifespan, so health span, wealth span are the intertwinings. Key, absolutely key in this. And, and that's, again, fortunately, where you have some agency in influencing those spans, where place is featured prominently, I believe, in each of those. So I think that- Does it work? Like, what have you heard? You're on the pulse of this. Do people- retire contentedly to other countries, learn other languages. Well, so that so that's what so I think what happens in this is that it's awesome to dream. We must dream. In fact, I've I don't have the quote handy to handy now, but this idea of not dreaming is when life starts to get small. And so it's very much encouraging me. And I think people can have great outcomes in places like Portugal and Costa Rica and Mexico in different places. But it's really important that people have their eyes wide open. And what you dream of something to be the case and what it is, there is often a delta. And so it's a matter of how big that delta is. So when you're in one, when you're in your current place, good news, bad news is you know, the devil you know. When it's a place that you've never lived in before or potentially even visited for longer lengths of time, it's a devil you don't know. So I've encouraged people to experiment, to going back to that word design thinking. If you have a hypothesis, which is, okay, I think I want to be in Portugal. I Rather than sell the house, move from the flat, sell your possessions and burn the bridge and move to Portugal, for example. Take How about we test it out? <laughs> take a short, take a short stay. Let's test it out. What would it be for a few weeks, a month, what would it be to be there for a season? 
what is, as you look at it, and this comes up all the time, Aviva, is like, what's the cost of a wrong decision? And it's not just the financial costs, it's the emotional cost, psychological cost. There can be costs within the marriage if you're like just more tension related to it. It can be a challenge if you're a solo ager to pick it up. So I think it's really important. I think those are good ideas for a host of different reasons. I, there was we a, did exactly the same thing. We went off to the US for a year. I went back to school and it was a really interesting exercise to leave everything, go yes. away and then come back. And we discovered that the re-entry was so pleasant <laughs> that, um, okay, London's not a bad city. Let's stay. And that was good to go and see with new eyes, a place that's very familiar. But listen, I want to get to a couple more questions before yes. we run out of time here. You're in the US, a fount of innovation on this stuff. There's so much happening in the space. You're watching it all what emerging options, innovations, what's impressed you most? What are you seeing coming on the horizon around this idea of place, its design, and how we might really experience it in an entirely new way that we aren't even thinking about? I look at it, and I, again, along this premise that place has an outsized influence in our life more than people realize. I see there's two branches to this. There's a branch that we've spent a lot of time talking today, which I'll say is the demand side. It's how can people make better, more informed, wise decisions about place? Yep. The tangible, physical, but then also this broader broader finding your place. On the other hand, there's an opportunity to create better places, to create places that are wildly more affordable, that bring us together more socially, that net-net are designed in such a way to help people thrive. And I call that the supply side. And there are opportunities both on the demand and the supply side to do better. On the supply side, which is what your question's about, I think you're seeing a number of innovations. I think you're seeing more people recognize that there are opportunities, a wide range of things. You know, here in the U.S., seeing a fairly small numbers, but high growth around these ideas of adding cottages besides or behind existing dwellings. So accessible dwelling in its ADUs. So where can I create a self-sustained kind of cottage, I'll call it, where I might own the house in front. Maybe I add an ADU behind. I could rent out the ADU. I could design it for my use. I could have people. I could have family. It starts to create options within existing. And the advantage of that, you're seeing more municipalities make it easier to create. If designed well, it can be used for a lot of different purposes, you know, it can be a rent vehicle, but also, as I said, designed for an individual. I'm and also, you could, and I suppose the idea is that you can also end up living there and then you renting your big house in the front. Exactly, exactly, and it's designed in such a way that that can work. And I think it has lifestyle, but also I think some positive financial implications. Another related innovation I'm seeing here in the states, somewhat related, I think, impacted a bit by the pandemic, was that. There's a question of like, well, do I necessarily want to live in a dense apartment building? And I know that's more common in different parts of the world. In the U.S., we have that, of course, our cities and in some of our suburban areas. But I'm starting to see some areas now where they're focused more on, I'll call cottage communities, where they're creating smartly designed cottages 
where has you know has all the universal design features, has the guts for technology to support aging, which we'll come back to in a second, but it's done in such a way to facilitate community where you know your neighbor, you got your front porch, you got a community space. I'm seeing that particularly in areas of the southeast of the US where land costs are a little bit less. You build them in some level of bulk to drive down some of the costs. And that's offered both on a rental basis as well as an ownership basis. One of the fastest growing pieces of real estate here in the U.S. are these what they call purpose-built homes for rent. And that happened as an outgrowth of the last recession, the Great Recession, when we had all this extra housing inventory. Investors came in and bought it and rented out. And then they found out actually there is a there are people that would love the idea of having a dwelling that meets their needs, but they don't have to deal with all of the home ownership. And so just as a rental model. So that's that's something I'm seeing. I'm seeing better apartments in walkable areas where they have these age-friendly designs, help build one of those with a partner in the DC area. So I saw firsthand the benefit of that. You're seeing more people being open to being connected to people as roommates. I've got an extra bedroom. What can I do? So it's not, could be an opportunity for rent, additional financial income, but also it could be someone, we could be friends, even loosely. With, I think that's a benefit. I think you're going to see more and more on the technology side over time, whether it's on the smart home side or the ability to have services brought to you over time. And that'll allow people to, to have situations where they don't necessarily have to be in necessarily like traditional senior living to provide some of the services they otherwise would get. Now, that's all I would say that's positive. But to be realistic for a moment, the cost of capital has risen across the world with interest rates increasing. Cost of construction has gone up related to supply chain issues. Labor costs have risen, and I expect them to continue to rise given the number of labor challenges and number of markets. All of those things are pushing up the cost of housing, and they're also prodding some headwinds for innovation because it's now harder to build new concepts or retrofit ones. So we're, I'm expecting a lot more innovation, but we have to be mindful that we do have these headwinds at this moment in time. So there will be a lot of headwinds given the numbers that we're looking at and the shifts required and the paucity of current design for this age and stage. So I'm just going to end my last question is, what are you planning for your Q4? I'm just, I'm just <laughs> curious since you're going to be way out ahead of us. How are yes. you thinking about it? Well, I hired my daughter as the Johns Hopkins Press as the publisher for my book, but I hired my daughter as a lead editor so I could hand to the publisher a pretty good draft. And so she joked, she's a now a senior in high school, but she was a sophomore at the time. And she said, Dad, I now, through this exercise, I know more about healthy aging than any normal teenage girl ought to know. So we joke about it. And my wife, she gives me a hard time because the house that we bought here in Austin that we did some renovation to, our master bedroom is on the first floor. We made some design changes. So if our guest room is on the first floor, you don't have to go through any stairs. Yep. From when you park the car, we're in a very walkable neighborhood. We have e-bikes. We can e-bike to downtown in 10 minutes. There's a lot so to So you're like. ready. You're staying. Well, you're aging in place. What I would say is we're creating options. Creating options. I would say one of the most important things for me, and I study this, I write about it, I know you do too, and I try to incorporate it in my life as well. And that is just the power of these friendships, these relationships near and far. And I've been fortunate. My wife and I went to college together. We have a lot of close friends that are friends of both of ours. 
and the different chapters of life that we've accumulated in the journey. But we're four years in soon here in Austin and cultivating those deeper relationships where we are now and being comfortable, being vulnerable, being comfortable to raise your hand. Yes, we're going to host something, being able to celebrate milestones of friends and associates. I think that is a big piece of this. I think that there's a book that came out recently called The Good Life. It's based on the longitudinal study that Harvard had done with Harvard students, but also actually coupled it with at-risk male adolescents in greater Boston. And the net-net of that unusually long and still ongoing study was, it's about these relationships. You know, I think their conclusion was, that your health at age 50, particularly the health of your relationships is a good guide to the the happiness you'll have in your 80s. So I think that there's this muscle here related to developing, nurturing relationships and friendships that place is integral to particularly, you know, for the ones close to you. So I think that's something that so you just don't snap your fingers. What, I, what I'm taking from this conversation is actually you want to probably choose and settle into the right place in your Q3 because community is so important and you want to build it before you're too old. And you're when people know you as you are, as you were, rather than in a much older age and frame. I would agree with that. And I, and I think one thing we didn't unpack, I, we could talk for hours. I know. Is that there's, there's, <laughs> when I say place, we talked about the metaphysical and some of the physical, but to unpack the physical piece for a second, I mean, not just your four walls. I mean, your block, your neighborhood, are you in an urban, suburban, rural area, yeah. what metropolitan area, what region of the country, what country, what region of the world? Yeah. All these things, that composite makes up your place, their physical place. And so you might say, okay, I want to have roots, like we're talking, I want to have community, but your four walls might let you down, going back to what the, yeah. uh, the quote with Bill Thomas. So it might mean that you need a different place, but you're not changing that entire composite. You're just staying within your greater community. Or you might find, sadly, with climate change, your place is changing and it's being less desirable. So one of the fundamental things, I've talked to wealth advisors about this, is you know we have financial plans for a long life. I believe we need place plans because places change and so do our needs and preferences. And it's dynamic. It may not change every day the way the stock market does, but it changes. And making sure that you're calibrating in that, I think is a fundamental tenant here for wise planning over a longer life. So I think the benefit of investing in those relationships is that it gives you the option of having a community that knows you. Things may take you elsewhere, but if you're in a spot where you just don't feel like it's the right place for you and those aren't the right set of friends, I would encourage, back to some of our earlier points, really think twice about, is this where you want to get deeper roots in or are you better off for that fourth quarter? (laughs) Cut and run. Exactly. Two better places. Ryan, Frederick, I want to thank you. I think you're actually kind of suggesting we all need to develop a new kind of intelligence. You could call it PQ, right? Place intelligence. I like that. Uh, I like that. (laughs) And I encourage all our listeners, if you too are thinking or haven't been thinking enough, perhaps, of where you live and where you want to age well, you've got to read this book. It is pretty mind-shifting. Right Place, Right Time by Ryan Frederick, The Ultimate Guide to Choosing a Home for the Second Half of Life. 
You'll find all of the links Ryan's been talking about and the assessment and the books on the show notes. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your places with us. My pleasure. So great to be with you. Until next time. For more thinking about the impact of our four quarter lives, you can read my column at Forbes and subscribe to my Elderberries newsletter on Substack. Let's design lives that aren't just longer, but better. <laughs>